The Beckers team is excited to be making our return to in-person events this fall. Join us in September for Beckers Hospital Review 6th Annual Health IT and Revenue Cycle Conference. We have opportunities to attend the in-person program in Chicago and also to join us virtually from the comfort of your own home. For information about registering and to find out if you are eligible to attend free of charge, reach out to us at registration at beckershealthcare.com. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to have a very special guest with us. We have Dr. Hadeen Joffe. Uh, Dr. Joffe has a, is an amazing set of titles. I'll just go through them very quickly for our listeners. She's the Vice Chair for Research Department of Psychiatry. She's the Executive Director of the Mary Horrigan Connor Center for Women's Health and Gender Biology. She's the Paula A. Johnson Professor of Psychiatry in the Field of Women's Health at Harvard Medical School, and she's also uh, you know, in women's health. In any event, Dr. Joffe, the titles don't really give justice to your career and your leadership on women's issues, on the Connor Center, and so forth. Can you take a moment, introduce yourself, maybe tell us just a little bit about the Connor Center and about the National Summit for Women's Health, and then we'll, then we'll, then we'll move forward and, and talk further. Yeah, of course. So the Connor Center is a center that specializes in research related to the health of women and understanding sex differences. And we have this uh, unique center at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard Medical School, which is really unique across the nation because we cover all fields, all areas of health. And we're trying to make sure that as new research in women and men goes forward, factors related to sex differences and that are specific to women are included in all areas. And, and so how did you make this, let me ask you a question, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. How did you make this, how did this become sort of your life's work? This, I mean, you've got this sprawling amount of work you do, uh, uh, clinically practicing psychiatrists, as well as a tremendous amount of leadership around women's health issues. How did this become your wife's work? So when I started in psychiatry in the mid-1990s, there were very few women. And um, when I was training, I was one of two women in a you know, leading re- clinical program at McLean Hospital at Harvard. And patients came to us. They were women who said, I want to see a female doctor. And I had more and more of these patients. And they asked me questions like, why was the first time I ever got depressed when they took my ovaries out? Why was the first time I ever got anxious after I had a baby? Things like that. And I went to all the people training me and asked them. They said, we don't really know. You know, in in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot known about what was happening in the brain with female hormones. And so I took that on as my career path. You know, firstly, from the perspective of brain health and depression and sleep disturbance and menopause and breast cancer, hot flash related conditions, to try and understand, you know, what's going on in the brain in women. I study humans, not animals. That means that all these hormone changes that occur over the lifespan and in these particular reproductive transitions and situations um, lead to, in some women, not all, but in some women, some kind of brain change. And the biology has advanced tremendously over the last 20, 30 years. We now understand that female hormones and male hormones have really marked effects on brain areas that are well beyond reproduction, you know, cognition, motor activity, certainly mood and anxiety and things like that. So, you know, that's what really spurred me was my patients trying to do research 
and have a clinical expertise that means that we give them more specific answers to who they are as individuals rather than a kind of generic answer for everybody in the population at large. So that's how it started. And, you know, our, yeah. No, and, and, and just absolutely fascinating. So you were in a class where there a graduating class where two women at medical school that were focused on psychiatry. Talk a bit about how bad is that gender imbalance still today? Could you give us a sense of that? It's changed tremendously. So now uh, psychiatry is female dominant. Um, the majority of people training in psychiatry and working in the field are women. There's still a lot of important, you know, men contributing and leading. So it's changed. And um, we know a lot more. And, and women are treating men and women. And men are treating, you know, women and men. It's not that it's sort of segregated that way. But the field has really changed. I think there are still some fields that haven't changed, you know, where, um, for instance, cardiology, where, you know, we know women have um, heart problems as do men, but there's still women represent the vast minority of cardiologists um, in the in the field. So psychiatry has advanced, many, many disciplines have advanced, but but not all. And I think that sort of relates to what we do in the Connor Center, which is we're trying to touch every field to have both men and women do research in this area to say, you know, what's unique? We need, we need people who think about these um, subspecialty questions, who think about these sex differences, um, to make sure that we advance the fields across all um, diseases. And, and take a moment on, you do so many interesting things, but tell us the core of what the Connor Center does. You're, you're a master's in public health at Harvard. You're a Harvard Medical School graduate. You actually went to Harvard undergraduate as well. And, 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 and but, but take it down to the level that all of us can understand. What does the Connor Center do day to day? What's the core of the mission at the Connor Center? So the Connor Center, if I can say, you know, how we've done recently with the summit, it really exemplifies the work we're doing, which is we convened about uh, a national summit, about 500 attendees across the academic community, the biopharma community, those people developing new drugs, new devices, new therapeutics, um, venture capital people who are financing this work people who are regulating this work, the whole community, the ecosystem of people who are doing this work, um, who, who care about, you know, why we should make sure that women have novel, that novel therapies for women's health are being developed. And there, there's been much uh, less work um, in terms of developing treatments for diseases that affect women. Um, and so we naturally kind of put a spotlight on that. And, and the summit was really our, our coming out party, so to speak, for our major initiative, which we call First in Women, a precision medicine platform. And what that means is like a play on the term first in man and first in human is that as research in animals and humans has come out, it's been very male dominant. And we actually don't know a lot in, for many therapeutics about how various drugs specifically affect women because women aren't studied early on. As the treatments are developed more, larger, more definitive trials are, are conducted. Women are certainly included. But early on, and in, and in some conditions, you know, still there's, there's vast underrepresentation where we, we develop a drug, we put it on the market, it's going to be used for a disease that affects women more, but we don't have a lot of information for it. So that was our goal with the summit was to really say, like, what is it that means that this is not happening? And what is the economic 
opportunity and also the economic imperative. Like, why is it we need to come together across all these parts of the system that are moving new treatments forward? It's an imperative. We need our employees, our, our family members, the people in our community to work and be healthy. And if we're going to want that for everybody, then we need to make sure there are treatments available for everybody and we're studying them in women. So that's what kind of exemplifies it. And, and magnificent. And talk for a moment about what are some of the things when you are front and center at this type of summit um, in a fascinating ecosystem that's part of that and trying to advance research and drugs and pharmaceuticals with a focus on women's health issues, what are some of the things that you take away from this? What are, the, what are some of the lessons you learn as you look at this? I mean, you've obviously through the course of your career started when in a, in a field that was male dominated. Now at least it's not as gender imbalanced. You've seen over the course of history, drugs developed with looking first at how do they affect from a physician medicine perspective and other perspective without a particular focus on how are they going to affect women specifically and just sort of uh, not, not intentionally or thoughtfully done and now moving in the right direction. What are some of the takeaways mm -hmm. you take away when you convene this type of summit and the conversation that leads this type of summit? What are some of the things you learned, some of the lessons? So the, the, one of the many messages is that there is movement, there is progress, there are people who are involved, there are people who are really prioritizing this and really um, appreciate how important it is. It's not that there hasn't been progress. You know, over the last 20 years, there's been huge progress, there's been regulation to make sure that um, when animals and cells are studied, that we study both female and male, unless there's a reason not to. There's been regulations requiring that uh, women are included in research clinical trials is that it's reported. So one of the takeaways is there's progress. And one of the reasons there's progress is because we, um, we're stimulating the pipeline. We are prioritizing and putting resources into it. We, you know, this is not going to happen on its own. You know, we're very fortunate that we have a strong philanthropic base as well as getting uh, support from our hospital and the NIH and other uh, funding sources. But we, we, none, none of this would happen without a really committed re investment and in resources to say, this is important. We, we need to do this. We need to put money into it. And when we do that, we enable people coming up through training at Harvard Medical School and in our programs um, and on our faculty who might not be thinking about Yes, but then they see, you know, that there might be an opportunity to re research with somebody, join somebody, do some work that looks at their data, that addresses the question. So, we, you know, our pipeline is important, and the pipe, one of the main ways to stimulate the pipeline is to provide funding and resources that mean there's a career path forward. Um, so there, th that for us has been one of the major takeaways: is that we need we need the full set of funding, the full set of priorities. And we need to enable and mentor and support the next generation so that they go forward and keep prioritizing this. So just fantastic. And, and talk about, there's a couple more questions, really three questions. What are you most excited about and focused on this year? That's the first question. Where, where are you most focused and excited this year? What I'm so excited about is that, you know, our center has grown. We've really highlighted um, that 
we in the academic community are contributing importantly, that we are bringing together partnerships with people in the biopharma community, that they are prioritizing this. Like there's been, there's been a real validation that this is important. You know, is there a specific disease where we have a specific treatment of, you know, available that, you know, th those are, those are happening along the way, you know, the first ever treatment for postpartum depression, specific to postpartum depression came out a few years ago. You know, this is, this is the kind of work that needs to be done to say there are paths forward to make sure that we can get new treatments for women. So next question, brilliant young family member who's pre-med, what advice do you give that woman who's pre-med today about career and options and where to look and how to focus? Any thoughts there? Yeah, so I would say whether they're male or female, um, what they should do is, you know, take care of their patients, learn from their patients. If they want to have a research career, research is the most exciting way to make sure that what you can provide to your patients is always being advanced. You're always moving things along. They ask you questions. Why did this happen? What should I do? What's known about this for me? You know, precisely for them. Listen to them and then say, I, I can answer that if I do this kind of study. I can answer that if I gather these kinds of data. And then talk to them about it. I mean, there, for me, research is about making sure my patients get answered. Uh, answers to the questions they have about their health. And um, the more we do that, the more relevant it will be to the questions they have and the needs they have. Last question, and, 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 and again, bear with me, and I, and I apologize for the question in advance. Harvard undergraduate, Harvard Graduate School, Master's in Public Health, and Harvard Medical School. How, how does that happen? How is somebody so bright that they do all that? Where, where do you credit that? How do you look at that? I mean, your parents must be so proud. And I know you're, you're obviously a, 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 this magnificent professional career. Tell us a little bit about how you end up on this path. Yeah, so, well, my parents are proud, and um, I'm fortunate to have parents and my husband and my kids, you know, who are all proud and, and uh, coming, growing up in a place where um, intellectual curiosity was valued, where intellectual independence was valued, where, um, you know, there was no sense that you couldn't do it if you wanted to do it. And I wish every child had that, you know, uh, view of him or herself. I mean, I'm an immigrant to this country. I came from South Africa and at a time where there were not a lot of opportunities. And, you know, America was like this dream because we could take advantage of all these opportunities. And then I worked hard, you know, I, I pushed myself and I asked a lot of myself and the people around me and I learned through every experience and I, you know, I never stopped and I still learn from every experience I have about you know how to do it better and how to how to think about it differently. Um, it's not a stagnant path, which is one of the fun things about these kinds of academic careers. You're always growing. You're always learning. When my kids are doing homework, I'm like, I'm doing homework too. You know, so um, you know it's it's a mindset that you can do it and that and that you can learn and be and incorporate and integrate the feedback you get rather than just keep doing what you're doing. Without that. 
it's it's really magnificent. I, perhaps an immigrant from Johannesburg, uh, South Africa itself, but really uh, a magnificent career, Dr. Jaffe. And I appreciate you sharing both a little bit of yourself and your thoughts and where you come from today, as well as discussions of the Connor Center, the Summit for Women's Health, and, and also the, 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 the sort of changing world of research. So it's more focused properly on, on gender and making sure women first in some of the research, particularly wherever it makes sense. Just uh, magnificent. What an amazing career. I, I want to thank you, Dr. Joffe, for taking the time to visit with us today. It was just a, a pleasure to hear your story and what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you.